Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. This episode features Brooklyn-based artist Kaveri Reina. Born in New Delhi, India, she received an MFA from the School of the Arts Institute of Chicago and a BFA from Maryland Institute College of Art. Her multi-layered paintings emerged from the artist's unique approach to narrative construction, a performed collection of gestures and events that evoke a choir of abstraction coiled through the threads of visual storytelling. While referencing various sources of imagery, from the personal to the art historical, her visual language of reoccurring abstract forms are culled from a net of art history, cinema, and fantasy. She has had numerous solo and group exhibitions that include the Museum of Contemporary Art Cleveland, Hale's Gallery in New York, Lighthouse Works in New York, Chapter New York, Patron Chicago, Illinois, National Indo-American Museum in Lombard, Illinois, Impus B Gallery in Los Angeles, and 12 Gates Arts in Philadelphia, to name a very few. She has received several fellowships and awards, including the James Nelson Raymond Fellowship, the Oxbow Residency Award, and the Skowhegan School of Painting and Sculpture Fellowship Award. Enjoy this episode featuring Kaveri Reina. Kaveri, welcome to my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. Thank you, Phyllis. Of course, of course. Please share with us, when did you discover your artistic passion? I guess discover is a good word because, or it's an interesting word because I, growing up in Delhi in India, my dad would take me to an art class every Saturday morning while he did his errands around the neighborhood for an hour and a half, two hours. So I guess it wasn't, I don't think I was aware. So I guess discovery wasn't then, but that's when it started, I guess. And then I would say intentionally it happened really in high school where I discovered the love for it. And my high school teacher really pushed me and it just made sense to pursue it. But I didn't know what pursuing it meant. But I would say, I guess, it started via my parents and then the actual discovery or the intentionality be- behind it in high school is when it happened. Let's define your practice. And during that part of our discussion, if you can also share with us how your art professors, you know, later mm-hmm. influenced your practice. So much, so much. I don't even, they've been very helpful throughout 
And as I mentioned, my high school teachers. And then in undergrad, I was able to have really great teachers as well at MICA in Baltimore. So I was there for four years. I was always a colorist. I, I mean, I know that term now. I did not know that term when I was in Delhi, like five, six years old. But, but yeah, I feel like they pushed me a lot to just explore color, to explore abstraction. And so I took three years off between undergrad and grad. And by off, I mean, I did residencies and traveled and things. But in undergrad and graduate school, both, I really chose professors that I'd heard from other people that were great for studio visits. And so yeah, I, throughout, it's been very influential. And just the conversations, the back and forth, and they have so much wisdom, so much they have done in their own practice. And talking to them about that was really, really great. And during those conversations, can you recall if you were influenced by a particular body of work or a particular artist? I would say, I think particularly in grad school, I went to SAIC. I remember talking to Galen Gerber, Michelle Grabner, Jim Woots, and constantly at that time I was working a lot with, I had just started working with Burlap and uh, I was looking at the Arte Povera movement and Alberto Burry was someone that I looked at a lot at that time, which is the physicality of the burlap and how for him it was all found material that he was using with wood, with other materials that he would find. But he was one of the ones that I really looked at that time. And I was only painting, I'm painting from the back and front of this material. So I got to know burlap really well in those couple of years of grad school. So what materials do you use in your work? So in 2015, I started using burlap and it was more so like it was around my studio. So before 2015, I was using a lot of like spices like turmeric, red chili powder, fennel seed powder and dyeing my different fabrics that I had in my studio with these materials. And so in 2015, I kind of gave that a pause and discovered this material burlap. By discover, I mean, again, it was in my studio, but with the intention of painting on it. And then I quickly realized that the paint, the table that I was working on was completely wet. And then I was like, oh, wow, this material is porous and permeable and the paint goes, seeps through. So for a few semesters at SAIC, I was only painting from the backside of the burlap. So I would stretch the fabric onto a stretcher. And at that time I was only, the sizes were like 70 by 48. So very like physical and body, like my body in comparison to the canvas was really important to me. So yeah, I was just painting from the back and the surprise element was really high, kind of not knowing what I was painting since I was only painting from the back when I would turn it around. You know, sometimes the paint wouldn't go through fully, sometimes it would. And so the process, the work became really process driven where honestly, I did not care as much about as what the image was in the front. It was, I was really enjoying the process of pushing the paint through. And I had thought that I had discovered like a new technique, but little did I know there's this whole Korean movement where they were using hemp to do something very similar. So, so yeah, burlap, acrylic paint, Charcoal and dry medium came later, like in 2017, 2018. And now the work is very charcoal and graphite. 
What's your process of choosing colors? That's a good question because colors, as I mentioned earlier, colors were something that I was grew up really enjoying working with. And then even in high school, I say it as like colors from the past. And when I say past, it could be yesterday or 10 years ago, uh, but always colors that kind of have some sort of a memory attached to it or some sort of familiarity, I would say. And initially, like 2015, 2016, my paintings were very bright, highly saturated. I was talking about the spices I was using, like turmeric and red chili powder. The reason I started using them was because of cooking. I would see my mom cooking around our home in Delhi, in Ohio, and just that pigment, the bright pigment, and especially turmeric because it leaves like a residue on your finger. A pinch of it can really, it's luminous. So I would say a lot of it was derived from cooking and being around the kitchen a lot. And then slowly it became, I started to 2018, 2019, I started to reverse that a bit where I was comfortable with those colors and I started to challenge myself where I would specifically pick colors that I didn't like or didn't feel familiar to me. So more darker tones, chocolate browns, a lot of like dark blues. And so if you see like the work from post 2018 has become a little bit more somber because of that and then the inclusion of graphite and charcoal came into the work too and so so yeah there's a there was a bit of a shift post grad school post even Gauhegan where I was the colors were very saturated and bright interesting when do you know work is finished it again it's a feeling that it, I cannot relay in words <laughs> it's more so just by witnessing, just by looking in the moment in the studio. Each painting for me so far has been, again, post-2017, post-2018, depending on the scale of it. I work pretty large, takes a month, two, month and a half sometimes. And not to say time equals to it being finished, but for me, sitting in my studio and looking at it for a while is also work. And sitting with it, and just looking at it for a while. I would say, yeah, it, it's a feeling, a feeling that I just can't explain. I mean, of course, I have an intention majority of the time <laughs> when I'm starting a painting, whether it's like a quick sketch or whether it's just like a word that I gave myself or an intentionality that's a memory even. But sometimes it's a lot of the work just changes as I'm working. So I, I would say going back to it's just feeling. What does your workspace feel and look like? It, so it's very dirty. <laughs> uh, right now it's clean because I just moved studios, but there's a lot of paint everywhere on the walls, on the floor, really charcoal-y, really graphite-y. So I try to wear a mask as much as I can, but I go home, I there's charcoal all over me under my nose. And <laughs> so, yeah, there's, it's, very messy and very dirty. I try to keep it organized as much as I can, but the studio is much bigger and the light is beautiful. So having that natural light is really important to me. And I try to go 9, 30, 10 in the morning and I try to catch that light, the daylight. Hopefully the day is 
not cloudy. But yeah, I think painting in natural light is really important. Or I have learned since, again, since grad school that I have really enjoyed that. And yeah, it's filled with light, fortunately. And now I have these big walls, so I'm, I can expand and work a bit more larger. Are you listening to music while you're working? Music that I know lyrics to that I can tune out. It, the music is really just for when I don't want to be in full silence. It's just as a background. And sometimes I'll start singing. There was a thing where residencies, people would record me in my studio without me knowing <laughs> because I usually would sing along while I'm painting and it would, I would have headphones on and I just wouldn't be able to know that other people are there. And it's only I found out that people are recording me. But yeah, I would sing a lot while I was, and it would be like the same songs over and over because, <laughs> yeah, sometimes, and then now when I look at some of the paintings, the music really helps me time travel almost. Sometimes I don't remember why I was painting what I was painting, but music has been really instrumental in that way because the lyric, and sometimes a non-lyric would just help me remember that moment when I look at a painting back. So I, I feel like music has been really instrumental I listen to podcasts sometimes as well, but it's also silent because New York, Brooklyn is loud anyway. <laughs> so I don't feel that I'm like alone in my studio. Yeah. So if, if you were not a visual artist, what career path do you think you would have chosen? So I tell people, a lot of people have asked me that question or, you know, in conversation, I feel like we talk about this a lot, but again, music has been really is something that I'm really, I enjoy a lot. So I keep, I tell people that I would be a DJ, uh, <laughs> if not an artist, being a DJ is also an artist, but I guess, yeah, I like listening to music, but I also like playing music for other people. There's this level of satisfaction when someone just is enjoying via music and that you created a list for them. So yeah, I would say a DJ, but I'm very much happy in being a painter. <laughs> What are you excited about right now? Um, you know, many things. I recently found out that, as I was mentioning a little bit earlier about sketches, I don't do that much of sketching before starting a painting. But earlier in October, I had this deadline and I sketched out a painting, which was very new for me. And just it was a quick sketch, but 10, 15 minutes. But that intention, that sketch really helped me make a painting and it did not take me a month or month and a half which is something new I've learned about myself which I didn't know like a sketch can help me <laughs> uh, so I guess I'm excited to try that more and not go usually it's I'll come up with a word or I read something and that would be the intention or I give myself questions I have been doing that a lot too but the sketching idea is interesting to me where I didn't do that. And then also painting larger because I feel like I've always wanted to do that and my previous studio didn't necessarily allow me to do that. There's just like something about the gesture with the whole hand moving, which I'm really, there's this, I wouldn't think it's really performative aspect, but my body is always standing. Like I'm always standing while I'm painting. So just the more of the movement aspect into these, in this new studio is something I'm excited to get into more. How do you keep learning? 
Uh, via conversations, I would say, talking to artists, friends, talking to non-artists. A lot of actually non-artist people have really taught me a lot, honestly, also, because I feel like I'm so much. I went to undergrad, grad, art school, and I was almost put like in a bubble. But the more and more I'm just able to meet non-artists as well and just having a broader sense of what's happening in the world or so I feel like that's been really nice but also of course reading I feel like I'm a very very slow reader but like by slow sometimes I'll read like a page and I'll have to read it over and over (laughs) to be able to fully understand whether it's like a sentence that I'll have to read over and over there was a book recently that someone suggested writing of disaster which is something that I've not read in its entirety. It's maybe only 200 pages, but it's so dense that it takes me a while. It has been taking me a while to get through. And I don't think the point is to get through it. For me, I think it's more so just sometimes I read one sentence, it feels differently on like a Tuesday, and then it feels differently on a Saturday. So I feel like words are, reading is something that it's really, I've developed slowly more fascination for yeah yeah it's a, a rich experience um, oh yeah absorbing and understanding words uh, i love it and also the- like how it's i read i the same book if i were to read like when i was an undergrad i think it would be very different than i'm reading it now 10 years later so the impact of words within like time is very interesting to me too and, and when do the titles of your work enter the creative process? Uh, I love coming up with titles. It's one of my favorite. I shouldn't say favorite because it's very tedious, <laughs> but it, it goes both ways. Sometimes I, so while I'm reading, I, I give myself a task, which is like writing down words that are new to me or hit a chord somewhere. For example, like the word heft, H-E-F-T. I was reading this a book by Rilke sometime last year. And and of course, I've heard that word before, but somehow in that sentence or like that book, it just stayed with me. So yeah, so I'll write them down in my notebook or I'll just shuffle them in my memory somehow. But yeah, the words and then the questions also I was talking about that I gave myself. Uh, in 2017, I did this residency at Lighthouse Works and I gave myself a lot of questions like, what does it mean to hover? What does it mean to be in a state of lull? And all these things I was thinking about, what does it mean to wait for something? So these questions also came in and helped me with my titles. But sometimes, again, like the titles come before and sometimes they come afterwards. More recently, the, pain, the titles have been coming after and it's become kind of a struggle in the past few months coming and dreading it. <laughs> Uh, Maybe it's like telling that I need to read more or, yeah, focus more on like language perhaps. But I really put intention behind the titles and I enjoy for more so the time doing that. Do you think your audience understands your work? Um, I don't think I necessarily want them to. Um, The paintings are for me first and foremost. And of course, the work is at times you can tell that there's an orange or you can tell there's a leg and you can tell but sometimes you really can't tell what's happening at all so i think what i can ask of the audience if that's not too much is 
to spend time with it and to witness what they're able to. And the work is pretty usually open-ended, that it can be this thing, but it can also be that thing. We're all very multifaceted people, and I'm okay with the audience to not know everything that was intended. But yeah, I think time spent with the work is huge, and the emotion behind the work is if they are able to grasp some of that. But yeah, it's, I'm okay with the audience do not. And the title sometimes assist in kind of getting into the work a bit more also. But, but I feel like I'm quite a, quite a generous artist where there's a lot to see and move around and experience. Do you recall, this is early on, mm-hmm. why you lean towards abstraction versus figurative? Um, I remember at Micah in undergrad that I was, we had to take foundation classes and I remember taking a figure painting class or I had to. And my professor, Michael Weiss, at that time was a very strict professor, I would say. And and not to say that he diverged me from uh, figuration or representation or however you want to say it, but I just knew that was the foundation class that the first year that I always were like painting the figure or trying to paint. And this was also oil painting. And I would just go off the canvas and it never looked like the figure or... um, So yeah, I I feel like even from the Delhi class when I was five, six years old, that the abstraction or whenever I put down a mark, that the fascination of like it, not being what I'm actually seeing was really fun to me. So yeah, and I stuck with that. But more recently, it's, you'll see, there's, you'll see a leg in my painting or you'll see subtleties. <laughs> yeah, there's a subtlety. And I've been surprised by myself where there are like, or there was a phase where I was painting a lot of fruits. <laughs> and then people were like, wait, is that an orange? So yeah, so things like, there's things that are shuffling here and there in the work now. And I'm surprised by it. And I don't know why it is. I don't have a reason for it necessarily at this moment. But but yeah, I guess abstraction has always been... Like, I remember seeing a Clifford Still painting in Baltimore. And just the, the, the attention to the edges in his paintings were so... Just was really fascinated by how much I was constantly looking at the edge and how he calls out to the edge of a painting. And I won't ever forget that because of just... I And the scale of it. And I feel like abstraction or like the Rothko Chapel too. Like one of my favorite pieces where you walk in and it's just, you're surrounded by this, this darkness almost, but more in, of course, the chapel. And you, there's, you're already thinking about, it's very religious in that way, but just being like this moment of overwhelming feeling, which actually abstraction does, can do really well. Thank you. I'm, I'm trying to learn. I'm still learning. (laughs) I've really enjoyed our conversation. So the last question is going to be two in one. What do you feel is the purpose of art? And as an artist, what do you feel is your role? Purpose of art. I think it's, and my role. Again, I'm a painter. I'm a drawer, many things. And I think I do it because I enjoy it and I struggle with it. And it's challenging to me. It's not always, like I enjoy it, but it's not always easy. I don't know when it is easy, but 
I think it is, I wouldn't say necessarily to inform people, but definitely to maybe be more aware of things that need more attention, whether it's being a little bit more attentive while sitting and looking, or whether it is like the recent series of my work has been about very political things that have happened in India, whether it's bringing historical events into the work and informing what has happened in the past and how it should be remembered. So I would say I don't want to burden artists by that, to always have this burden of informing, because work can also be very silly and fun, but it can also be really strict and strong and have a basis of learning via that. So I don't know if I answered that question, but yeah, I I guess my role is to be satisfied with what I do and then in in hopes that uh, the audience kind of gains whatever little that they can gain. Yes. So never-ending lessons in life, always something to learn. Yeah, and I, I think that's a great question and also a very heavy question because a role, you know, when you say the word role, it's an activator and it makes you feel like you are being noticed. And that's what you want the work to do is be noticed and be seen and be witnessed, but in whatever way it can be translated. Thank you for your time. I've enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, Fuller. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.